watching, wondering, weeping. First, watching. Many years ago, in the good old days when there were only three TV channels to choose from, on your black and white set, which took 30 seconds at least to warm up before the picture came on, and eating breakfast, watching telly in the morning was totally unheard of, and the BBC would close at about 11.30 every evening as they played the national anthem, those good old days. The BBC used to have a short section of daytime viewing for children, and they used to call it Watch With Mother. Well, this morning, I want to invite you to watch with Mary. There were several Marys who were part of this group of women who remained faithful to Christ right to the very end. It included Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, but of that group, probably uh, the most prominent was Mary Magdalene. She had been wonderfully converted released from demon possession and those faithful women actually put most of the disciples to shame on that Good Friday. I have a question for you this morning. Have you seen what Mary saw? Have you really seen it? I want to invite you to spend a few minutes with me as I remind you what it was Mary saw. And then as we continue, my prayer is that God in his grace will give you the eyes of faith to really see it. Looking on from a distance, Mary had seen a man who was no ordinary man dying on a cross in a way that no man had ever died on a cross. In John's Gospel, there's a very significant detail recorded. As I mentioned on Good Friday, the Jewish Sabbath, which is, of course, the last day of their week. The Sabbath begins at sunset on Friday morning, on Friday evening. And that time is fast approaching as Jesus dies. The Jews aren't permitted to handle dead bodies on the Sabbath. And they're all thinking, well, we can't have these men hanging there all across the Sabbath day, especially as it's uh, the Feast of Passover, a very special religious time in the Jewish calendar. Uh, we can't be waiting until Monday, just leaving them there. And we know that the Romans have this prescribed method of quickening people's deaths as they hang on the cross by breaking their legs. Death in crucifixion actually comes through asphyxiation as you hang by your arms you find it increasingly difficult to breathe until eventually the the trauma of the whole process just takes your life from you but even with nails in your feet when you're fighting for breath to that degree you can actually press down with your legs to release some of the pressure from your chest and at least get a gulp of air down you. And if you have your legs broken, that's no longer possible. The pain is simply too much and the inevitable death is hastened by breaking their legs. 
Now, the Jews have been under Roman, Roman occupation for a long time. They've seen lots of people crucified. They know the hideous routine all too well. They know for how long the suffering can continue. They have learned to expect that the ordeal that's being endured by these three men, well, it still has some way to go yet in the ordinary course of events. They're not going to die anytime soon. And this Sabbath is approaching. So the request is made. Can we have their legs broken, please? Crucifixion was just horrendous. Mary is watching. Are you? They break the legs of the two criminals first, one on either side of Jesus. But when they come to Jesus, he is already dead. As we saw on Friday, he came into the world to lay down his life. And John, uh, as we read in Matthew, John also records that Jesus gave up his spirit. Matthew tells us that just before Jesus died, he gave out a loud cry. And when we read the Gospels recorded by Luke and John, what that cry was is made clear. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he gives up his life. He lays down his life for his people, for those whom he will save. The Roman centurion was watching. Truly, this was the Son of God. A few hours later, Mary is watching as the body of Jesus is laid to rest. But this is no ordinary man who is being laid to rest. Well, the two Marys are remembering which tomb it is that the body is being lain in. They'll be back at dawn on Monday morning. And on Monday morning, here they are again, watching. Are you watching? There's an earthquake. An angel comes down from heaven rolls back the stone from the entrance to the tomb, sits on the stone. The guards who've been posted there to stop the disciples from stealing the body, they become frozen to the spot in terror. It, can you see it? Don't be afraid, says the angel. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Are you watching? The tomb was already empty as the stone was moved aside. He is not here. He is risen. It's completely understandable that Mary is struggling to take it all in. And John, it is in his account, records initially Mary is weeping at the tomb because she does not know what has happened to her Lord. Where have they taken him? 
soon all will become clear to Mary. They'll begin to remember all the things that Jesus had said would happen. Well, keep watching. And I pray that all will become clear to you. The Lord of glory, suffering and dying in the place of sinners. Keep watching. Going to the one place where all of us are heading, the grave. Keep watching. That will be your destination one day. But risen, alive, a sealed tomb, unable to hold him. Keep on watching and wondering, wondering. Wonder with Mary as she watches the crucifixion from a distance. Why has it all ended like this? It's only been three short years He's a man in his prime, and it ends like this, so soon. What did I hear him just say from the cross? Did he really just ask God to forgive the people who are doing this to him? Who does that? Did he really just promise that murderous criminal that today Jesus would take him to heaven? Who does that? That's got the centurion wondering. No one's ever died on one of my crosses like this before. Why has God forsaken him? Why? Wondering, wondering about Christ. I hope you are. Why did the story have to end this way? Well, the cross is not the end of the story. Why did Jesus not allow his disciples to fight back against the soldiers in Gethsemane? Why did he give himself up so readily? Why did he not vigorously defend himself when placed on trial before Pilate and Herod? How can he speak these words as he hangs in agony on the cross? What is it about this man? Well, of course, Jesus had already spoken very plainly about all of these things. Listen to what he said. Mark records this in Mark chapter 9. He taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. As Mary watches from a distance, she doesn't understand. Jesus says in Mark 10, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In John chapter 12, we hear Jesus say, my soul is troubled. 
what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. For this purpose, I came to this hour, giving his life a ransom for many, paying in full the penalty for your sins. What does God's anger against sinners look like? Watch what Mary's watching. Watch what the centurion is watching as Jesus hangs on the cross. And there you have your answer. That's what God's wrath against sinners looks like. Is my sin really that bad, you may wonder? Does my sin really deserve that? Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Wonder with Mary as the body is laid in the tomb. And wonder with Mary at what she saw that Monday morning. When the Apostle Peter, sometime later, would be preaching his first sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter said this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. King David is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. This Jesus, God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Not only has the penalty for sins been paid, but the power of sin has been defeated. The grave has been overcome, and everlasting life may be found in the one who himself now lives forever in a resurrected body. This Prince of Life is now the source of new life for sinners in the one who lives. All of the Gospels record the gradual process by which the disciples came to believe that Jesus was risen. It began with watching Mary. And she and the women ran to tell the others. And in their ones and twos, as a group of eleven, eventually at one point, a group of more than 500 witnessed, saw with their own eyes the risen Lord Jesus. He appeared to them and they believed. Even those frozen to the spot guards were convinced of what they'd seen. And they go back to the chief priests, verse 11 of Matthew 28. They tell them what's just happened. Well, they're paid off handsomely to give a false account. The, disi the disciples stole the body while we were asleep. It's a rather shameful admission for a soldier. 
but the money was good. Matthew tells us in verse 15 of that chapter that even at the time of writing his gospel, some years later, these things were all still commonly spoken of. Maybe you can imagine the guards being paid a second time for their story in the local press and spilling the beans. I reckon they were probably left wondering, aren't you? How can I now explain this love God gives abundantly? The maker of the universe would save a wretch like me? From sinful birth I have no worth or goodness of my own. Yet God would still set forth a plan to bring this rebel home. How can I comprehend the Son of God in majesty? who left his throne of glory to be sacrificed for me. He bore God's wrath upon the cross, and in my place he died. Once guilty and condemned to hell, now I'm free and justified. Will you not pause this morning to wonder about these things? And finally, weeping. Mary's tears at the tomb. Initially, they were the tears of grief and sorrow, the tears of confusion and fear. But eventually, they became tears of joy. And if you would ever truly see and know this Jesus for who he really is, tears are still necessary, you know. When speaking of coming to Christ, too often the only kind of language that is ever used is the language of joy and gladness, almost triumphalism. Now rejoicing in Christ, of course, should be the, should be the stuff of the Christian faith. But what of the broken-heartedness of a contrite and repentant spirit? before an infinitely perfect and holy God? Should there not be something of that also? Think of the woman in the house of Simon the Pharisee in Luke chapter 7, as she washed the feet of Jesus with her tears. Jesus explains that this woman of ill repute loves him much because she knows only too well just how much she has had forgiven. Surely her tears began as tears of the broken-hearted, tears of sorrow and shame, but also then tears of repentance, which then turned into tears of joy and gladness and thanksgiving. Her tears of love and thankfulness are so many because she never imagined that there could be anything which could ever replace her tears of guilt and shame. But then she found Christ, or rather, she was found by Christ. The other week, the children's story was the account of Peter denying that he had ever even known Jesus, let alone was one of his disciples. Do you remember, do you remember how all that concluded? Immediately, a rooster crowed 
And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. He was overwhelmed by the guilt of his sinful betrayal. Listen to the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. The sorrow of the world, that produces death. So yes, rejoicing in thanksgiving for the love and the grace and the mercy of God. But what about the sorrow and grief and tears over your sin, which first drove you to Christ or perhaps we'll do so for the very first time where is the beating of the troubled breast God have mercy on me a sinner the Bible compels you to come and stand alongside Mary and to look and to watch at the cross Give me a sight, O Saviour, of thy wondrous love for me, of the love that brought thee down to earth to die on Calvary. And there to wonder, was it the nails, O Saviour, that bound thee to the tree? No, t'was thine everlasting love, thy love, for me, for me. Oh, wonder of all wonders, that through thy death for me, my open sins, my secret sins, can all forgiven be. And there to weep, then melt my heart, O Saviour, bend me, yes, Break me down until I own thee, conqueror and Lord and Saviour crown. Oh, make me understand it. Help me to take it in what it meant to thee, the Holy One, to bear away my sin. And how can you and I speak and pray like that and address ourselves to the Saviour who died like that? It's because in the Bible, you stood alongside Mary as she watched the events of that early morning. With her, you've heard the voice of the angel. He is not here. He is risen. And with her, you've looked inside the empty tomb. He's gone. And on the page of Scripture and by His Holy Spirit, 
You've heard the Saviour speak your name. With Thomas, you've seen and touched the scars of his side and his hands. Watching, wondering, weeping. My Lord and my God.